0: Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Brilliant. So as Catherine said, my name is Jeff and I am one of the site pastors here. Um, It is always fun to be able to talk to you guys about the Bible. Um, Now, I don't know what the worst dining experience you've ever had is. I don't know, maybe it was a family argument, a rude waiter and impolite guest. But when reading through the Bible, particularly the New Testament, I can't help but wonder why anyone ever invited Jesus for dinner because it just never went well. I mean, he makes everyone feel uncomfortable and all he does is publicly expose your sin and insult you. Well, apparently the reason he keeps getting invited by the Pharisees for dinner is because he's a new rabbi or teacher in town and they invite him over to basically kind of do an informal job interview. Let's check out the new guy on the scene, and see if his theology is legit. Well, we're gonna look at some of his teachings in the context of a dinner in a moment. And as usual, Jesus makes everyone feel uncomfortable. So that may be some of us today. Our passage has kind of two different but related bits of teaching. The first is a section of teaching on who should be invited around for a meal. We're looking at Luke chapter 14, verses 12 to 24. I'm going to start with 12 to 14. It says this. When Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do you invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors? If you do, they may invite you back. And so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although you cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So when we come to a passage like this, where the meaning seems pretty clear, the question of how literally to take its application is not always an easy one. I mean, Is Jesus really saying that we should never have a family meal? That we should never get together with our friends and eat with them? Well, I'm thinking probably not. Because actually, other places, Jesus talks very positively about family and friends and the importance of community. However, I think he might have a question or a challenge about the idea of these places being closed and exclusive places only for family and friends. So every year, families in our church invite people around from our congregation who don't have anywhere to go for Christmas to eat dinner with them. Now, this is a beautiful picture of the kingdom. And I guess the question for us is, how could we live lives that are more open to welcoming the lonely, the poor, and the needy? Now, I think this is a really important challenge, but I don't think it's Jesus' main one. Because as usual, Jesus is looking to get to the heart, to the motivations of our actions, and to the question of our priorities. I find it really interesting that Jesus doesn't say, don't be motivated by self-interest, He says your actions should be motivated by a desire for reward. But he says you get to decide what reward you get by what priorities you have. If you prioritize the things of the world, then you'll receive the rewards of the world. If you choose to act in such a way to receive the rewards of this life, wealth, honor, and respect, then that's what you'll get. But if you choose to act in a way that reveals the countercultural heart of God, if the kingdom of God is your highest priority, then God will reward you. Jesus says to the Pharisees essentially, you say you love God, but your actions reveal that in reality you love the things of this world. So the challenge for us is, what rewards are we living for? What priorities are driving your day-to-day decisions? Your decisions about who you invite for coffee, who you talk to maybe in the school playground or in the office, who you invite round for lunch, who you talk to on a Sunday. What priorities are shaping your decisions? Well, continuing with our passage in uh, verse 15, someone said, when one of those at the table with him heard this, they said, well, Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, this comment was, uh, int- introduces Jesus' parable it has some old testament imagery and some old theology behind it and the jewish people were waiting for their messiah to come god's chosen king who would come and establish a kingdom that was ruled by god and in accordance with his ways and when this messiah comes there will be great celebration and feasting and we see this most clearly in isaiah 25 verses 6 to 9 And it says this, On the mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, of the best meats and the finest wines. I'm getting hungry already. (laughs) On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trust in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Now, there was a lot of discussion and debate in Jesus' day as to the question of who would be invited to this feast. So, some, like the Pharisees, believed that only Jews were welcome at the feast. And there was an ancient Jewish prophetic text called the Book of Enoch, and in it it has a story that kind of mirrors this sense of feast. But, and the Gentiles are invited. Hey, that's good news. Except for the fact they're only invited so that they can be killed before the meal. <laughs> okay. Another group called the Essenes, which was a strict Jewish monastic movement, in their writings, which were famously discovered at, the Qum- at Qumran, and they're known as the Dead Sea Scrolls, In them, it's very clear that that the Gentiles are not invited, but not only are the Gentiles not invited, but Jews who failed to keep the law properly, and any of them who were physically disabled were not welcome. Now these theological debates have been going on for a hundred years, and this is the context in which Jesus speaks this parable. And he says this, Jesus replied to the religious man, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field uh, and uh, I've got to go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Sorry, please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Sorry. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. The master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. So you can probably see why Jesus' parable might ruffle a few religious feathers. And in this parable, we see three groups of people that correspond to three groups of people in Jesus' day. First, you've got the group that reject the invitation, And that's the Pharisees and other maybe religious and prejudiced ethnic people. Um, The second is the poor and disabled, and that's the social outcasts within Jewish society. And the third is those outside the city, on the streets and in the lanes, and those are most likely the Gentiles. So, in Jesus' time, when you hosted a banquet, there'd be two rounds of invitations, the first invitation would go out, and you would RSVP so that the host knew how many people to cook for, and then maybe a day or so later, the next round of invitations would go out to let you know that everything was ready and you could come now. And that's what we see at the start of this parable. In which case, this first group of guests has responded to the first invitation already. But when the second one comes, they make their excuses. For them, possessions, desires, and general business take priority over coming to the banquet. But ultimately, they take priority over relationship with the host. They don't care about offending him, rejecting him. And Jesus is warning the Pharisees that you can't presume to have a place in the kingdom of God, a seat at the banquet of the Messiah, If your priorities lead you to reject the host of the banquet, the Messiah, Jesus himself, if you do, then you will miss out. So what's the warning for us? I don't know about you, but I can find it quite easy to get distracted from my relationship with Jesus. It's quite easy to roll over, click snooze, and keep clicking snooze until I'm completely out of time to read my Bible and listen to Jesus and what he wants to say to me about my day. I don't know about you, but it's very easy to watch another Netflix episode and watch another one until I fall asleep on the sofa at bedtime instead of in my bed, and I definitely haven't been intentional about how I end my day. It's easy to go about my day just doing the things I need to do, even though I work for a church, without much reference to the fact that I am, a, I am living with the Holy Spirit in me, that I have a connection with Jesus, and I'm doing all that I do with him. It's easy to neglect our connection with Jesus, our relationship with the host. We can get distracted by our possessions, by our desires, by our general busyness. and it can be it can be easy easily slip into a week a month a really long time since i've had a meaningful genuine connection with jesus and jesus is saying in this passage to us in some ways that actually that matters And that actually we can't just presume upon our place at the meal. That just like any other relationship, just like any other connection, it takes effort, it takes time, it takes prioritizing. He wants to be the first priority in our life. And if we neglect that relationship, we might not have a place at the banquet. Now, I recognize, for those of you who've been in church for a long time, that might be raising some theological questions, but we'll get to that in a minute. The second group of people illustrates that whilst we can't presume we have a seat at the banquet if we do not prioritize our relationship with the host, we also can't earn our place. The banquet is offered for free. It is completely at the expense of Jesus. It costs us in some ways nothing. As in Jesus' first block of teaching from verse 12, the poor and the needy have nothing to offer. More than that, in Jesus' day, they were presumed to be cursed and rejected by God. Jesus is painting a picture of the kingdom of God where the undeserved and those who have nothing are welcome. Now, the immediate question to all of us is one that we've asked earlier is how can we better live lives that model this? That model a welcome of the poor and the needy and the excluded in our society. But also I think it raises the question of how do you see yourself? I was having a conversation with someone and they said, I'm really glad you have your faith. I'm really glad it works for you but I think religion is a crutch. I think I can face my own life on my own two feet. Now, to be fair, she was trying to be kind, but actually, she was being pretty condescending. Jeff, you are weak and lame and you need a crutch, but not me. Our culture tells us that we should have a strong sense of self-esteem. We are strong and independent. We are awesome and gifted and talented. We don't need anyone else. Others should just accept us the way we are without question or critique because we are amazing. And if you don't invite us to your banquet, then you know what? You're missing out. You are missing out on the privilege of our presence at your meal. Now, we can't really approach God that way, can we? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we should all be terribly insecure. But I think God does want us to be honest. These passages come after the ones we looked at last week on humility. To accept Jesus' invitation to this banquet requires some honest self-reflection. In the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, it's easy to find, Jesus says this to some Christians in a church in Laodicea. He says, "'You say I am rich. "'I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. "'But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. "'I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, "'so you can become rich.'" And white clothes to wear so you can cover your nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love I I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. And they with me. in order to be to welcome into this relationship with Jesus, to come to eat at his banquet, he, there is an element of us accepting that we need him. That actually, we are lame. We need a crutch. We need something to help us walk through this life rightly. We are blind. We need someone to come alongside us to help us see the world Rightly. We are poor, and we long for the riches of heaven, and we can have them if we call on him. But between these two groups and the lessons they teach, there's a little bit of a tension, isn't there? So on the one hand, you're saying, it really matters what I do, or what I do matters. It has implications that maybe if I don't have the right priorities, I might not get invited. But on the other hand, you're saying, this banquet's free. It costs you nothing. In fact, you're invited be- even though you have nothing to offer. So how does that work? Is the gift free? Or do I have to earn it? What's going on here? Well, I've got a little il- illustration that I hope might help. I need someone who is good at catching. Anyone good at catching? Anyone going to volunteer? Walter, you going gonna- <laughs> <Brilliant. laughs> to? <Yeah, yeah. laughs> this is... This is why you don't make eye contact with someone when they're preaching, right? Okay. <laughs> um, so, Wouter, if you could put your hand, just put your hands out like this. Okay. So, let's imagine these are our priorities. These are the th- I'm, is this in the way? Let's imagine these are our priorities. So, this is Wouter's job. This is his marriage, his kids, his family. What else might be a priority? This is his reputation. Um, his finances, any other things that we might prioritize his health, what else might we Hobbies. Hobbies great, so these things are all the things that belong to him in some way they 're his priorities now let 's imagine that this is a priceless price, priceless crystal vase, or something like that, whatever. Like this this represents though the priceless gift of salvation an invitation to the meal in the kingdom of God and actually, you know Jesus has bought this for us with his blood he's paid for it all we don't have to pay vouter doesn't have to pay for it with anything else he doesn't have to buy it it's given to him as a free gift there's nothing he has to do now, the classic line is that the gospel is, or well, salvation is a free gift that costs us everything. And one thing you might realize is that if I give this to Wouter right now, there's an awful lot of things in his hands. So if Vauter's if going to catch this priceless free gift, <laughs> then everything else that he holds valuable Every, all his other priorities, all the other things in his life, he's going to have to drop to receive the gift. Now, is the gift free? Yeah, it's free. But it'll cost him everything. So, should we try it? Shall we see what happens? This floor isn't very bouncy. Let's see. Okay, you ready? I don't know what the best way to throw this is. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, it cleaned up as well. Excellent. I'll invite you up again. (coughs) So there's a third group. So first we must accept that we need to prioritise relationship with the host. Secondly, we must accept that the banquet is free. And third, that everyone is invited. This third group, um, the Gentiles or the non-Jews, illustrates that the invitation to the kingdom of God is for everyone. The Gentiles were excluded because they weren't a part of God's chosen people. Essentially, they were the wrong race. Now, chances are, we don't exclude people from a relationship with Jesus because of their race or ethnic background. Now, in reality, race and racism and is a reality in the world we live in. But I do hope that in our relationships in church and in the sharing of the gospel with others, we don't exercise that prejudice. It's not at least an ingrained part of our theology. But if you're anything like me you can find other reasons to exclude people from sharing your faith with them. To not extend, metaphorically, the invitation to Jesus' banquet. Maybe they're happy. They have their life together already. They don't need Jesus. Or they already have their own faith. It would be rude, right, to tell them about Jesus? Or maybe on the other end, they're too messed up. They're too far away. They're too antagonistic. They're too angry. They would never listen. I can't tell them about Jesus. Now, I realize when we talk about sharing our faith and telling people about Jesus, we all immediately start to feel a little bit guilty because, you know, we all know we could do more. We all know that we could have had More conversations, we could have told more people, we could have invited more. And the reality is there probably is more. But I don't think the calling on us is to awkwardly force Jesus into every conversation. In fact, the the explicit instructions about evangelism in the New Testament is in 1 Peter 3.15. And what it essentially does is encourage us to take every opportunity. To, To paraphrase, it says this. Follow Jesus, live an authentic life of faith, and when people ask you about it, answer them in a kind and loving way. That doesn't sound too hard, does it? Build authentic relationships with those who don't know Jesus yet, live out your faith openly and honestly, and when they ask you about it, tell them about it. That's not too hard, is it? We can do that. Because the final bit is that this isn't a group, but there is another character in the story, the messenger. And whilst Jesus is the host of the meal and he is preparing a great feast, we are the servants sent out to invite everyone to the feast. And I think there's an invitation for all of us to freshly embrace the excitement that comes with that role. So, what we've heard today is that Jesus is asking us to accept the need to prioritize our relationship with Him, but that the doorway into this relationship is accepting that we need him, that actually we come to him with empty hands to receive a free gift that he offers us. And in return, he asks us to extend that invitation to everyone, excluding no one. So if John and Sue could just come up, we're going to respond. And just in a, as they set up, let's just take a moment in quiet and just reflect on what God, Jesus has been saying to us this morning. So, Spirit, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you're at work amongst us. Jesus, we thank you that you provoke us, that you call us to something better, that you have good things for us. So would you speak to us? What are you saying to us, and what are we going to do about it?